Welcome to the first edition of the In Competition Film Podcast. Hi, I'm Jim White. I'm Sean Taylor. And we're excited about sharing with you the news of the world of competitive film from across the globe. We're a couple of film fans who just happen to love world cinema and hope that our little show will guide you towards some of the best film that's available right now. We're coming to you from Brisbane, Australia, fresh off the circuit of the East Coast Film Festival um, that is the Sydney Film Festival, Melbourne International Film Festival and Brisbane Film Festival. Um, for our first show today, we're going to review 2023 and all it's given us. And that's much more than just Barbie and Oppenheimer. We've both been really lucky enough to sample some really great prize winners from across Berlin, Cannes and Venice film festivals. And we just can't wait to share some information about these films with you. We'll both share our top tens from the past year, as well as discuss our favourite performances too. Uh, future editions of the In Competition Film Podcast in 2024 will take in awards season from the Oscars to the end of year. But let's get started. Uh, our first major film festival of 2023 was way back in February 2023 last year. And it was the Berlin Film Festival, and it was the 73rd Film Festival. It took place from the 16th to the 26th of February in 2023. Um, the festival opened with an American filmmaker, Rebecca Miller, and her film, She Came To Me. Uh, very interestingly, the jury for the Berlinale, were Kristen Stewart was the jury president. We had Gol Shifter Farani as uh, an actor from Iran, and uh, Valeska Grisabach, a German director, Radu Jude, a Romanian director and screenwriter, Francine Maisler, an American casting director, Carla Simon, Spanish director, and Johnny Toe, Hong Kong director. So really nice, diverse jury there. They gave their prizes um, as follows. They gave the Golden Bear, which is the, the major prize, to Nicolas Philibert's On the Adamant, the Silver Bear, which is the runner-up prize, was a fire Christian Petzold's film. Best director went to Philippe Garel for The Plough. And uh, Berlin offer non-gendered awards for performance now. So the best leading performance went to Sofia Otero, um, the youngest winner in the history of the Berlinale at nine years old. And well-deserved. Absolutely. We'll talk <laughs> about it. It will come up later, I know, for 20,000 species of bees. And supporting performance, Watea Era for Till the End of the Night. So they were the, the prize winners. The Berlin, for those who aren't aware, kind of broken up into the main competition and also a panorama section, which I'm also going to talk a little bit about as well. Okay, so um, let's now talk about some of these Berlin films that we've been lucky enough to see. Um, and I'll tell you a bit about each one. And the first one is Blackberry. Um, it was directed by Matt Johnson. Um, and here we are now making films about smartphones. It's the story of the first smartphone opening in 1996, and the rise and fall of those who remember it, the BlackBerry device, the, the predecessor of the, the phones we all carry around with us now. Um, it's a really interesting film because it talks about the speed at which innovation uh, moves along, especially in the last couple of decades. Uh, there's comedy tragedy. I just, for me, felt there was a bit more to tell than there was uh, told in the story. But the thing I really took away from it was the fantastic 90s production design. And those of us who were there like to think it wasn't that long ago, but it really shows that it, it was. <laughs> um, maybe technical innovations felt a lot more fresh back then, and it kind of captures that sort of excitement as well. Um, 
So I'd recommend Blackberry. It's it's good. Uh, Glenn Howerton is a supporting actor. He's getting a bit of uh, awards notice at the moment. But the film's available on streaming at the moment, Apple, Google, Prime, to buy and rent. Uh, I think you've got to catch up with that one, haven't you? I do. do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Second film I want to talk about that was in competition at Berlin is uh, Ivan Sen's Limbo, and it's always great to see an Australian film in competition. In fact, it, um, it was the first Australian film to compete in 17 years. That's brilliant. Yes. That's just fantastic. Alongside the, uh, the Rolf Tahir film. Mm-hmm. Which Sean's going to talk about. Okay, but uh, we'll get back to Limbo. It's a detective story set in remote Cooper PD, shot in, in widescreen black and white, which uh, looks really quite spectacular. Uh, it's the unsolved murder of a First Nations girl and uh, when the white cop, uh, Detective Hurley, played by a pretty much unrecognisable Simon Baker... Uh, he goes out to assist, uh, and the residents are less than forthcoming in, in, in their assistance. Um, the landscape is kind of the major player in this film. It's uh, something the director has emphasised in earlier work that I really enjoyed. Um, you can stream that for free in Australia on ABC iView at the moment, so there's no reason you, you can't see Limbo today if you want to. <laughs> and the photography in that film is impeccable. It's gorgeous, yeah. The way that the outback almost looks like the moon through that, yeah, you know, monochromic um, cinematography is just breathtaking. We're talking yeah. wide open spaces, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Ivan Sen's previous films, uh, any of them in black and white? I don't recall that they are. Uh, yeah, I, I, Goldstone uh, is, 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 in, is beautiful colour in, yeah. in using outback locations, but I don't remember him using black and white before. I yeah. could be wrong, but I'm not sure. Um, the next film I'm very excited because it's one of my major films of the year and that's Past Lives, um, directed in a remarkable debut by Celine Song. Uh, a story, if you haven't seen it yet, is about two deeply connected childhood friends who were separated at age 12 when the girl's family moves from South Korea to Canada. We then follow them over 20 years as they reconnect and ultimately reunite. There's no spoilers there. But it's an incredibly assured film and uh, it took my breath away multiple times. I've seen it twice and and it's a richer film even on the second viewing. And you initially may think it may be quite a culturally specific story, but I I find the film has universal themes that really move me. Uh, Great cast, Greta Lee, uh, Teo Yu, John Magaro. They're just just amazing. And... um, uh, the final scene of the film still punches me. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, just a sensational film. I love it. And um, I'm glad to see it was in competition. Um, the next film, um, I saw this at the Melbourne Film Festival with, with Sean, and it's, um, it's called Totem uh, by director Leela Avales, Mexican film. Um, they have a lot of awards in Berlin. One of the prizes they have is a prize of the ecumenical jury, and it won that prize this year. And it's a, a really gentle film. There's... Another film I'm going to talk about in a moment where actually there's a kind, of a, a, a kind of a mood in cinema at the moment where we're kind of immersed in families and we're just thrown in in the middle of a major event. And mm. this is a kind of a story about a seven-year-old named Sol who's spending the day with her grandfather in there preparing a surprise party for her father. And as the day progresses and there's chaos in the kitchen, and, but slowly truths are revealed and you actually know there's a lot more going on than you can see about the, uh, the family dynamic here. It's deeply personal. Um, it has a real authentic sense of family. Um, and the thing it does marvellously, and this is another theme I've seen in a few films this year, is that the child's perspective is just so beautifully evoked. Um, 
I was happy to read this morning that um, this film is actually going to be in cinemas in February, so I'm really hoping you'll get a chance to see it. So, uh, And on that theme, I was just talking about young child performances, and that film had a marvellous performance, but 20,000 Species of Bees is a Spanish film with another extraordinary uh, central performance, and I mentioned it earlier, the nine-year-old Sofia Otero, and that the uh, that prize given was uh, seconded by Sean there as being really <laughs> worthy. <laughs> Um, it's another family drama, uh, but it go, takes in the, the story of gender dysphoria and uh, I, I really recommend everyone watch this who wants to get a deeper understanding of trans children. It's, uh, it's, it's an, a really remarkable story. Um, this time the family are gathering not for a birthday party but a baptism and uh, it's just watching how different family members uh, respond to um, the, the, uh, the, the trans child and others. It's... It's beautiful. I, I don't know of a release date for this. I don't know. I don't even think it has uh, an Australian distributor, which is pretty shocking. It is really sad that people don't get to see it, but keep your eye out, folks. Maybe something like a Spanish film festival it might turn up at. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, my next film I saw that was a, a competition at Berlin was A Fire by director Christian Petzold. I've had a, a bit of an up-and-down relationship with this director before, um, but I'm happy to report this is, for me, his best film about a group of young people, both friends old and new, who come together in the countryside to write and relax. And our key protagonist is, I think a good way of describing is a bit of a sad sack. His name's, <laughs> his name's Leon. He's, at a, career, he's a total grouch. He's a total grouch, a, a career crossroads. He's just written a book and it's probably not a great piece of writing. He's an awkward character and I think uh, some of the best uh, scenes in the film come out of that uncomfortable humour that evolves from that. Um, it's, there's certainly lots to laugh at, but it's, there's a real underlying sense of unease because in the setting of the film there are a number of like uh, bushfires slowly uh, developing around them. Um, so the plot developments and total shifts are really well handled by the director and, and I think it has a, a, a remarkably moving finale which really snuck up on me. Oh, definitely. And what I think is so impressive about A Fire is it throws you headfirst into... Uh, sort of a, a budding romance and these friendships that are forming and you get so caught up in this uh, silly, frivolous, you know, interpersonal drama that is, I guess, made so inept uh, in the second half of the film. Mm. Yep. It, it's like, it's, it is not just a summer film, but it is the summer film of 2023 when the future is uncertain Um you know, it's really a climate change film yeah. disguised yeah. as a romantic drama. Yeah, it's that's an excellent way of putting it. I, the film won the Silver Bear, I mentioned that earlier, and I think that was very worthy. Um, it has had a small window release a couple of months ago at a, a, a notable cinema in Brisbane, but um, keep an eye out for a fire. And uh, the final um, Berlin competitive film I'm talking about this morning is uh, On the Adamant by Nicholas Villabert. It's a, an actually a documentary. Documentaries don't always win the major prizes at film festivals, but it's happening a little bit more over the last couple of years. So this won the Golden Bear, and the adamant of the title is actually this daycare centre, which is in the River Seine in Paris. And it welcomes um, any adults who are suffering from mental disorders or issues to, to come and actually use therapy via art um, and there are voluntary visitors who come along. They, they, uh, they're allowed to explore their creative avenues. And 
I love the way it explored what art can be. Art can be sewing, singing, dancing. And there's even a film watching club in the in on the adamant that I really want to join. <laughs> Do you recall what they watch? Oh, well, I know there was like a, all, all the great French New Wave classics were there. It was just like I was drooling while I was watching yeah. that. So I wanted to join it. But um, I love the way the director, who has made other documentaries in the past uh, that I've enjoyed, um, he, he stands back and just lets his portrait play out naturally. And... Um, of course, the sobering thing is in the final credits of the film, it reminds us that this is such a world of positivity and, and encouragement is always under threat financially and um, encourages us all to make sure that warmth and generosity of spirit continues. Um, I believe it's on DocPlay. If you have the streaming service DocPlay, you should be able to uh, get access to that. Highly, highly recommended. And the winner of the Golden Bear. So did the jury get it right? Well, I've only able to the sample of films I've just mentioned to you, but the Golden and Silver Bears, that's on the adamant and a fire, I, seem, I think they're very, very worthy winners. Um, the sidebar, the panorama, had a couple of films I really think are worth mentioning. Um, there's a film called Passages by uh, director Ira Sachs, who I really admire. I've loved films of his in the past. Uh, always look out for Little Men or Love is Strange if they pop up anywhere. Um, but it's an honest, really honest and tragic tale of modern relationships and with just the most terrific cast. Um, one of the little best German, uh, German actors, rather, sorry, of recent times, Franz Rogowski, plays uh, a, a man called Thomas, who is one of the most frustratingly difficult and messy characters you'll meet in cinema these days. And he is so charismatic but creates chaos everywhere he goes, including the people who love him. And I have to say... Berlin this year was kind of a hot house for prickly Germans <laughs> <laughs> for fire as well. Yes, that's true. There is a thread there, yeah. <laughs> and they were, they were prize winners. Um, it's, it's a really touching, heartbreaking, and I think it maybe should have deserved a slot in the main competition just based on that director's, you know, past work and record. And But it was slotted into that section. So um, um, for those of you with access movie, I believe it's coming to movie soon or movie internationally, but yeah, um, yeah, Passages is worth catching up with and it may be talked about a little more later in this podcast. What's um, really interesting though about it being slot in the panorama section is that Past Lives uh, received a competition slot and I understand that, that that film has gone on to Ghana, I'd say more acclaim, even though they are two of the most acclaimed films of the year. Mm. Um, Past Lives, of course, is being released by A24 in the States, whereas yet um, internationally, Mubi have passages. And yeah. as a smaller distributor, I have to wonder if that factored in. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not. Possible. Yeah, I'm not sure when they they acquired passages, but I know Past Lives went into Sundance with um, A24 backing it, and as these, a first film, yeah, as a first film, and these are the two uh, two features in Berlin that came from Sundance there, I guess the Sundance holdovers in, in that sense. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very interesting to see. Um, the, the machinations behind film selection at festivals must be really interesting to Baffling, see honestly. Baffling. <laughs> but I agree, I think it should have been in competition. Yep. Um, I think it should have been in competition and I think it should have been awarded as well. You know, there's another film that was not really on my radar that was in the panorama section and um, luckily I have a good friend who says, you should see this film, Jim, and that uh, it was a movie called Reality, which was definitely on my radar, directed by Tina Satter. And it's a, it's a really powerful docudrama about the leak of government documents that pertain to the Russian interference in the 2016 elections. And I, I, I just think it's wonderful. 83 minutes 
so economical, just using dialogue taken directly from actual transcripts of the interrogation, and that's, that's the focus of the film. Um, I do like a, an economical under 90 minute runtime. Uh, I'm going to do a shout out to my friend Wendy, who I know will be listening to this podcast, who said all films over 90 minutes should not be watched. Uh, so, Wendy, you need to add this to your list. Um, there's a great performance from Sydney Sweeney. Um, she, I really had not seen much of her work before this, and she really knocked me out. It's, it's a real lesson in low-budget filmmaking, keeping things tight, keeping things focused. Maybe it could have been a competition, I'm not I sure. I think it should have been a competition. There you go, we're in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, um, yeah, especially fascinating because... Uh, Tina Sada is uh, kind of like a well-known playwright in the States and um, yeah, this is her directorial debut. It's based on uh, a one-woman show. Actually, I don't know if it's a one-woman show, but it's based on a, a play that she wrote, but all of the dialogue in the film is uh, taken directly from the transcripts yeah. of when the FBI came to Reality Winner's house. Um, and yeah... As you said, it's a very economical film and I think that it's an especially brilliant thriller because of that. Um, and I had no idea that her name was Reality Widder. I mean, that just sounds like <laughs> such a, <laughs> a construct. But yeah, that's, that's her name in, in reality. <laughs> it's a true story. Um, there was another film in Panorama that I only got to see within the last couple of weeks and it was, another, again, a recommendation from Sean's and it was a German film, another German film, this time called The Teacher's Lounge by Ilke Satak. Um, although I've seen it, I would really love Sean to talk about it because it's just a terrific film. Oh, well, I don't know even where to begin on this film. Um, it screened earlier, early 2023 at the German Film Festival in Australia and it's, it reminded me a lot of the work of Michael Haneke in the sense that it's a feature where you you approach the film with morals in mind but they are questioned um, as the characters in the film behave in ways that make sense that are sensible to them and you see the consequences spiral out of control and in this film it's about a teacher who uh, it works at a school where students are being accused of stealing and she seems to not think the teachers are any better. And I think it's kind of like, you know, you'll be punished for your good deeds, in mm. a sense, because... I, Even I though know, she does make some poor choices. She does yeah. make some poor choices, but I don't know if I were her, if I would would do any, any different. I agree. Yeah. Yep. And I'm, I'm, I saw it, I mean, knowing nothing about the film other than, yeah, it played in Panorama, and I thought... It had a great poster. <laughs> I don't know what... what, what well, there's just so few good posters these days. There are so, so few good posters. And, um, yeah, you never know what to expect when you see a film at a film festival like that. And I was um, very pleasantly surprised. Uh, I think Leonie Banesh, had she, uh, I guess, been in competition with this film, I think she could have, maybe should have, won the Best Actress Prize. Though I would feel... Um, Sorry, Sophia. I'd, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't really want to um, snatch the trophy from from a child's hands, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's uh, she gives a remarkable performance. Um, she 
the only film I'd seen of hers prior to this was actually a Haneke film, The White Ribbon, um, which she plays a supporting role in. And uh, she's great in the film. Of course, she has limited screen time and she um, plays a, a much more reserved character, I'd say. But yeah, she gives a real tour de force in this film. Definitely should have been in competition. Um, I'm very happy that it is the German submission even though it might not be my favourite German film of the year. Uh, it's also been shortlisted for the Oscar. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just elated that this film has, has got such wide recognition because it deserves it. And for those of our audience who follow the European Film Awards, which were given out uh, last month or earlier this month, no, last month I think it was, in December, um, she was nominated for Best Actress there amongst an incredible lineup of, of performers. So... Um, yeah, Leonie Banesh, terrific. Oh my gosh, that this film, The Teacher's Lounge, when you catch up with it, will have your heart pounding because it, the spiral, as Sean just described, it's just so unforgiving. It's it's, yeah. it's amazing. I feel like we've been um, very positive about Berlin this year. There were a, a lot of uh, a lot of films that. I guess I, I can only speak for myself, but I went into not really expecting a lot from and completely wowed me. Um, one of which was a film called Disco Boy, which uh, was in the main competition, a uh, featured debut as well. So great to see that film, I guess, uh, skipping a section, <laughs> heading straight up to competition. Um, it stars Franz Rogowski. Who, well, there's that name again. Yeah, who was also in Passages. So yeah, great um, Berlinale for him. It uh, actually won a silver bear for its cinematographer, uh, Helene Levert, who, uh, to be honest, is one of my favourite cinematographers. Um, she works with interesting filmmakers and uh, she also shot a film this year, La Chimera, which I'm sure we'll discuss later. Uh, the sure. film, it's a very visual film. It's a film... Uh, where there's a very prominent score and uh, imagery. And, yeah, it, it's, it has a very strong narrative, but more than that, I, I watched this film focused on the mood that the director created. Um, it has phenomenal tracking shots, nightclub scenes, warfare photography. Uh, there's a scene shot entirely in uh, thermal imaging, night vision, which blew me away and uh, it's set to this brilliant uh, electronic score which uh, is already available on streaming so like listen to it it's it's great uh, it, it it blends the the violence of war with dancing and yeah it's it's a brilliant film. I can't wait for you to see it, Jim. I'm I cannot sure we'll wait to see it. It's at the top of my watch list. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can only imagine it will um, screen at the French Film Festival here in Australia, so presuming it does. Um, and I'm very happy about the return of the electronic score. Last year, my favourite score was from a film called Re Return to Soul, which and now we've got Disco Boy to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I suppose the only other film I want to discuss from Berlin was a film in competition, uh, Music directed by Angela Shalanak, uh, which is a very divisive film. Um, it's, a, it's a cryptic film. And, yeah, it, it's essentially a loose retelling of the myth of Oedipus. Um, but you wouldn't really know that if you watched it without reading that. So I don't, I don't really want to say too much about music. I note that it won a major award. It won the Screenplay Prize, which is... Um, 
kind of hilarious because there's very little dialogue in the film <laughs> and I know often you know juries look for uh, the structure of a film as well but it's a very loosely structured film so I well I really really liked it I was kind of left scratching my head that it won that award mm. instead of maybe a director prize you know I guess they didn't love it that much but I, I missed seeing music um at uh, was it Sydney, wasn't it? it I saw it at Sydney Film Festival, Festival, yeah. yeah. And, and, um, but I remember the discussion after, I really feel like I missed out on something because it was so divisive. I just love the fact that the film really split yeah. you know, people, my friends in, into <laughs> two camps and I love that. Yeah, yeah, so. it, it, um, yeah the, the film has such a uh, tense mood throughout that is not broken until it ends that actually it was broken when I saw it and I don't know if um, if you have any horror stories at the cinema this year but um, there's a very dramatic scene maybe two thirds through the film um, obviously I'm not, I can't say what it is but uh, very very long take leading up to something and right at the climactic moment um, the girl behind me in the theatre her, her phone went off to the Harry Styles ringtone and it kind of oh wow yeah, mood killer. Mood killer. But um, yeah, she ran out of the theatre and I guess that kind of... <laughs> nobody took it as seriously after that, unfortunately. Sorry oh, we all have our cinema horror stories, but you know, we keep going back. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it was kind of a cursed screening. Um, the house lights came on uh, about 30 seconds from the end of the film. Oh, boy. It just happened once or twice to us. But I digress... So I think that's Berlin. Yeah. And um, so... Um, Would you say the jury got it right, though? I, I did. I, I, I think the, the Golden and Silver Bears were terrific films. And, um, I mean, competition, I know this is what our podcast is about, but, you know, sometimes you think, why do I have to compete, you know, because, because there's so many good films. But at least we're hopefully drawing attention to whether they won a prize or not. Things worth seeing, yeah. So yeah, we're going to move to the big festival now. Sean's going to take over talking a bit about the legendary Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> the 76th legendary Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> <laughs> it ran from um, May 16 to the 27th of May uh, 2023. And um, I predicted the Palme d'Or winner. I, I will... Sean, yeah. the prognosticator. <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I just had such a good feeling about uh, Anatomy of a Fall, which um, won the Palme d'Or, uh, filmed by Justine Trier. Uh, the first film of hers that I'd seen, um, though I've rectified that now, and so have you. Yes, is, uh, I think I've seen all of her films now. I've done, made the, a mission to see all of her back catalogue. Yep. And you feel Anatomy's the best? Absolutely. Far, yep. and, far and away the best, yeah. Okay. Good. Um, yeah, it also won the Palme Dog Award. <laughs> Um, in what must have been a very, very tight competition with Fallen Leaves Dog. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> they should have split it. They yes. should have split the dog. Actually, we, we should talk about the Palm Dog Awards later. Um, but the, the main competition comes first. Uh, there were 21 films that competed at Cannes this year. Um, as usually happens, uh, there's a few films added later on. Uh, originally, there were 19 and then an American feature, Black Flies, was added late, a film that um, received, I'd say, maybe the worst uh, buzz out of Cannes. Um, I don't know if that film screened since the festival. I don't, know I what's don't think happen. I've heard of it since the 
monumental yeah. <laughs> unveiling. I mean, really, they should just drop the laurels and yeah. release it as if it's a Liam Neeson action flick. Mm. <laughs> it's not quite, but uh, good pass for that. And the other film um, that was added late was Homecoming, uh, the new film by Catherine Corsini, uh, which I haven't seen, but her previous film, um, The Divide, uh, opened uh, a film festival that I programmed in 2022, so I, um, I'm very excited to see that film when it's made available. But on to, I suppose, what we have seen from the competition. Um, I've seen a number of features... Uh, In fact, I've seen all of the award winners with the exception of um, the Best Director Prize, which uh, went to Pot Air Fu. Um, we can which has multiple titles Which now. has multiple titles, <laughs> but I kind of um, That's how we'll resent it. the taste of things. <laughs> There's a French film from about 10 years ago called The Taste of Others, and I always get them confused. That's, that's, that's similar titles. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm on the Pot Air Fu Pot Air Fu uh, train, train yeah. as well, yeah. <laughs> I, in fact, I was um, I was listening to the uh, new Criterion Closet video, which um, has Gail Garcia Bernal in it, oh, yeah, so and I don't know if you've seen the video. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he talks about Itamama Tambion and how he was so happy that it retained its original title yes. for stateside distribution, um, which is I, pretty rare. Mm. It is rare, unfortunately. Um, and if you haven't seen that video, it's definitely worth watching on YouTube with Gail Garcia Bernal. It's just it's wonderful. Yep. Yeah. But I think talking about Ken, I should start with um, the feature that I saw first from the competition. And seeing as we were, uh, I'd say, so positive about Berlin, I feel like it's time to be a little bit more negative. <laughs> um, Asteroid City by Wes Anderson, uh, his new film, which I saw my first night at the Sydney Film Festival. I was at the Australian premiere for the film. Um, mind you, it had already opened in the States uh, at this point in time, so it was um, hardly an exclusive screening. Uh, but it's really interesting seeing how this film has kind of had a lot of uh, critical reappraisal. It's popping up on a lot of top tens, I've noticed. Yeah. 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 And I, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. Yeah, same here. Um, it did not work for me. I hate to be a hater, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Wes Anderson. Um and this is also, I'm, I'm a Wes Anderson fan. I have been right since Bottle Rocket. I've been there from the beginning and I was really disappointed. I just think the films are getting denser and which may be what appeals to some, but for me it's just almost like becoming navel-gazing a little. It is. And people who um, appreciate this film have, have spoken about how he's sort of ref reflecting on his own career, but, um, yeah, I think maybe he should just keep his insight to himself a bit more. Um, from the competition as well, uh, Last Summer, the new film from uh, Catherine Brillat, uh, who was uh, my most watched filmmaker of this past year. Um, <laughs> thank you, Letterboxd. Yeah, thank you, Letterboxd, which I didn't um, you know, quite see going into the year. I don't think I'd actually seen a film of hers prior to last year, but she's become a real uh, favourite auteur of mine. Um, Last Summer is a remake of a 2019 Danish film, um, which I also really enjoyed. Um, but what is very interesting about Relat's version is she has kind of condensed the material. It's a shorter film. It's more to the point. 
Uh, it ends where the film it's based on kind of uh, rambled on a bit too long. Um, but yeah, it's a brilliant film. It stars... Uh, yes, because I think the original film, Queen of Hearts, I yes. think it's over two hours, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah, think it, it yeah. might be about yeah two to ten. I, I Don't get me wrong, I really like Queen of Hearts. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, it's a brilliant film. Um, it was a film from the Sundance Film Festival, which is so interesting that this adaption competed at Cannes. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, but it stars Leah Drucker and it stars um, Samuel Kirscher, uh, who's a, an emerging actor uh, in France at the moment and both uh, give great performances. We'll talk about the awards at Cannes later, but I think that Leah Drucker um, could have been a shoe-in for Best Actress for this role. I think she's uh, phenomenal. Uh, another film that I saw at the Sydney Film Festival from the Cannes competition was May, December, which we saw together. Yes. And uh, really interesting seeing that film before there was a poster, before there was a trailer. Uh, it was definitely going in blind, just off the can buzz. Which yeah. I think some of the can buzz was actually misguided. Yeah, honestly, yeah. A, a bit like uh, Asteroid City, uh, it's a film that uh, wasn't talked about much at can, but has since become a real critic's favourite. It was it's topped and top film comments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a peculiar film. It's a, a part melodrama. I know uh, people have found the film uh, to be campy. I see, I don't see that. It's a term that's used. I was reading a fantastic interview with uh, Todd Haynes, and he actually resents being called camp to the film being called camp so it's interesting yeah that's what so many people are referring to it as yeah and i suppose it, it just stems from that um scene early in where you know julian moore opens the refrigerator door and yeah says that line one of the scenes of the year yes yeah which is which is phenomenal but um i think it's a very serious film i think it's um it's funny to see it now receiving backlash uh from people who feel that it's um pulls too literally from the Mary Kay Letourneau um, situation. Um, but as a work of fiction, I think it is, yeah, a brilliant. I know I'm I'm a lot higher on this film than, than you are, perhaps. Yes, yes. I, I, I enjoy the film. Um, I, I, I find, tonally, I just I find it a bit problematic. Um, and I really problematic. like... Problematic? Yeah, I do. I just, I just think it's all over the shop a bit for okay. me, yeah. Um, maybe I wanted to go a bit further in terms of the, like the earlier scenes in the film, which, but, but it's, it's, it's a film that I think about quite a lot. Maybe I need to do a re- revisit, but I know people who absolutely detest it. I know people who absolutely love it. So it's another one of those great works of art that people really love to have an argument about. Um, I would, I think Sean may be mentioning the cast, so... Julianne Moore, yeah. Natalie Portman... And, and Charles Melton, yeah. yeah, who I thought was really terrific in it. Yeah, a t- very tricky role, very tricky part. He plays it so well. It's like a stunted sort of personality. Uh, yeah. yeah, he yeah. is. And, um, yeah, uh, he's been receiving a lot of uh, critics' prizes, a lot of nominations, though he, um, he missed out in the BAFTA long lists, which uh, kind of shocked me a lot. Since he's a bit of the critic's darling at the moment. He yeah. is, mm. he is. But, um, yeah, I, I have a good, good feeling he'll go on uh, for the Oscar nomination. Yeah, I think that he might get one of the only two nominations it gets. I think it might get Screenplay and Charles Melton. That's, mm. that's what I think. I think it might be just too, a little bit of a hot potato for some of the Academy voters. We'll see. Yeah, I should say as well... We'll talk about that in our next <laughs> podcast. It is the, um, the 
the first screenplay um, by writer Sammy Birch as well. So what she's been able to craft, um, you know, I guess her first published screenplay is, uh, is, is a brilliant work. Um, looking at the competition now, Club Zero, a film by Jessica Hausner. And <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> oh, deep breaths. Deep breaths. Yeah. Um, this was a, another film alongside Black Flies that uh, didn't have much good word out of can, but I, I want to be a bit of an advocate for this film, I think. Um, Hausner has uh, developed such a peculiar style in this feature. And um, I saw her previous film as well, Little Joe, which uh, won Best Actress at Cannes 2019, and I didn't like that film. It didn't. And uh, Club Zero has a similar, uh, I don't want to call it a vibe, but... <laughs> it's unsettling, I'll, I'll yeah, say that about yeah, it. Yeah. The, the mood of the film is very unsettling. It's very uh, peculiar and it, it just really worked for me. It um, stars uh, Mia Wasikowska as a uh, teacher that comes to a school and begins a conscious eating class. And it's kind of a modern retelling of the Pied Piper. And I think it is uh, a, a great film. And I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear what you think about Club Zero. Uh, uh, it, it's such a strange, strange film. I, I, I remember really being confused by it very much. And there's so much vomiting in the film too, which is really unsettling as well. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it left me very cold. and I, um, But I thought it had really... Really interesting music. That's the one takeaway from that movie. I thought it had the score. Do you know who did the score, Sean? I don't, but no. um, the European Film Awards came through for that one. Yeah, they, they did. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I'm just not a fan. In, I found it really uncomfortable, but in not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> and we uh, we we can't move on without talking about those school uniforms oh. in the film, <laughs> which is, is uh, kind of ties into the the whole. Vomit of all things. Yes, it <laughs> certainly does. Yeah. I think it would make uh, it would make a, a great appetizer for the taste of things. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe a film we're more positive on uh, out of can was the new film by Hirokazu Koreeda, Monster, which uh, won the Queer Palm. It also won screenplay prize. Uh, how did you feel about Monster and its uh, triptych screenplay? Oh, I, I really love that film. I remember, you know, sometimes you see a film and you remember so clearly the experience of watching and experiencing it. And the audience I saw it with at the Sydney Film Festival was enthralled. Um, in fact, uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto does the beautiful score for the film and he had passed away not too long before the, the film film screening, and uh, 2,000 people in the State Theatre applauded his name appearing in the credits. Yeah, that was and a beautiful I, moment. It was just a great moment. It's a, a film I've, I've, I've revisited, and it's e I found it even richer the second time. It basically tells the story from three perspectives, and with each telling, you get new layers, and um, I, I, just, I just love that sort of storytelling. I, it seems to be, again, another film that not everybody's crazy about, but I am crazy about Monster, yeah. Maybe discussed later in the podcast as Maybe. well. Mm. Uh, it's a film that I feel comes across as a thriller, but when you watch the, the feature, it's it's most certainly not. It has uh, mysterious elements, but it is um, it's a drama and it's uh, a very beautiful film at that. I love um, 
I love how the film boasts uh, quite a large ensemble and yet uh, all of the characters in the film aren't who you initially feel they are and it's, it's achieved in a way that feels so natural to the story being told. Mm. Um, and to it has the film. Japanese cultural elements as a layer in there as well which adds mm. so much to it also. Definitely does. Um, what else from Ken... But uh, About Dry Grasses, which we wow. saw at the Melbourne uh, International Film Festival, we was it a 10am screening? It was a 10am Sunday screening that was sold out. And um, here we were launching ourselves into a three-hour and 20-minute film, thinking, are we awake enough? And um, I'll let Sean continue the story. Yeah. And we <laughs> most certainly had enough coffee. <laughs> but uh, it, it was a breeze. Um, it won the Best Actress Prize uh, for a brilliant new talent in Merv Dizdar. Um, of course, it's a film by Nuri uh, Bilge-Gailan, and it's uh, the first film of his I've seen, but it certainly won't be the last. Um, it's a film set in a small, snowed-in Turkish village um, where a school teacher is doing all he can to get himself out and get back to the big city. Um, but he, you know, he's the maker of his own situation. Um, yeah, he's quite a, a horrible character. Uh, but it's a very gripping film um, about masculinity, about... Um, I don't know if you'd feel the film is about grooming. Well, there's an element to that, yeah, without yeah. giving too much away, yeah. Mm. Uh, there's a lot that's not clearly explained in the film but suggested too, yeah. And I think that's what uh, makes the film so powerful mm. is that it leaves you with, um, I guess, a sense of what is going on. Uh, it, it's, a very, it's a very talky film, but I feel... Every line of dialogue in that film is there for a purpose. It's there for a reason. Um, yeah, that's a brilliant, brilliant feature. And uh, again, the uh, cinematography in this film is um, just astonishing, stunning, wintry, bleak, uh, unforgiving. I mean, why you can totally understand why he would want to get away from living here, but it's the the, the, the temperatures and, and the conditions are so so yeah. unforgiving. I must also if. Sean will allow me to add something here. Please. That um, it also pulls a little bit of a coup about three quarters of the way into the film that I cannot discuss with you, the audience, I'm sorry, but when you do see it, and I encourage you to see it, it's a great film, it, it just does something that is so unexpected it left most of us slack-jawed at the boldness of, of pulling this off and it's just a, like a, a three-minute sequence in the film that kind of just go somewhere you don't expect and yeah. I, I, I just love that that ballsy thing that he did I'm a big Salan fan I've seen many of his films I'm trying to be a completist and see them all but I really hope people get to see this film I don't think it has a distributor at the moment in Australia which is really really sad um, Janice Films did pick it up in the US um, so the Criterion Collection will uh, release it on physical media probably in about two years from now <laughs> with uh, you know, the state of things and, and their and, acquisitions. And bookending this with Sean's comment about us seeing it at 10am on a Sunday morning, uh, 
it was the most still audience and that there was no movement. Everyone just sat there and I'm not saying they were asleep. I was saying they were actually riveted and I thought it yeah. was such a testament to the filmmaker. It's one, another great uh, film experience from 2023 for me. Oh, yeah. Definitely for me as well. Yeah. Um, I suppose uh, we should talk about um, one of the more notable films from the Cannes competition though, which is The Zone of Interest. Wow the new film from uh, director Jonathan Glazer. Um, this film won the Grand Prix. Uh, it's his first film since Under the Skin came out, uh, I suppose, 10 years ago now. Maybe even more, 11. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but this is a film that's uh, an adaptation of a novel of the same name by uh, Martin Amis, but it is a very loose adaptation. Um, the film stars uh, Christian Friedel and... Uh, the incredible Sandra Huller um, as uh, the f- family that um, live next door to the Auschwitz concentration camp and, of course, um, Friedel's character, Rudolf Hoss, um, is the commandant of the camp. And what's so astonishing about this film is um, the way that the setting uh, is evoked not through what you see um, but through what you hear. Um, I suppose it it has to be one of the most talked about films of the year so there's not really much I feel I can add to the discussion but say that it is um, a tour de force it uh, if you didn't think Jonathan Glazer was um, one of the greatest filmmakers working today watch the zone of interest I'm sure you know and also go back and look at Under the Skin and Birth particularly oh my god Birth Birth is another great maybe unheralded film mm. that he, he's, a, he's a great... He doesn't, he doesn't make films very prolifically, but, you know, it, they're worth the wait. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. And working with, um, you know, Nicole Kidman, Scarlett Johansson, Sandra Huller. <laughs> yeah. Three cinematic greats, in my opinion. And they'll be lining up for more, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah 100%. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an outstanding film. I, I only hope that it, um, it goes on to get a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. It's... Um, uh, nominated Best Film Drama at the Golden Globes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that uh, more mainstream critics have um, warmed up to this film yeah. because it's very experimental. It's um, almost non-narrative in sections as well. Yeah, I think I think our listeners need to know this. This is not what I would call an easy film. No. It's um, it's challenging, and um, but I, I think it's. Utterly remarkable, and you will be hearing a bit more yeah. about it later, I'm sure. It's um, yeah, the sort of film where there is no reprise, even in moments where there's no picture on the screen, you um, you just yeah. And uh, has so the most extraordinary sound mix. It's I think it's revolutionary yeah. what he does with sound. Mm-hmm. Mika Levi, um, they did the score for the film. Uh, they also composed the Under the Skin score as well, and the score for Jackie. Mm. Pablo Lorraine. All fabulous scores too. Yes. Shall we discuss the Palme d'Or winner? It's the elephant in the room, is it? Yes. <laughs> uh, Anatomy of a Fall um, by Justine Trier, also starring Sandra Huller, who many thought would win the Best Actress prize. Um, anyway, she walked away with two awards in hand, in a sense. Um, she, Justine Trier, uh, won the Palme d'Or for this film. Uh, which follows uh, a married couple, um, a German writer, and uh, a French 
writer of sorts uh, who live in the French Alps and um, a body is discovered. He's uh, seemingly fallen from the attic or um, was he pushed? And the film, while it uh, unpacks that question, it poses several others about the state of their marriage, about uh, the French legal system and about how um, you can't define um, such a complicated and long-living relationship um, with a mere accusation, with a verdict, um, and it's remarkable. It has the best dog performance of the year and <laughs> maybe debatable, but the best child performance of the year too. Yes, absolutely, and that's a, it's been a good year for child performances. Yeah. Yes. Milo Machado Granier, I think That is correct. Is. Yeah, he's, he's not getting the attention he deserves. He's phenomenal. He has to carry a lot, especially in a particular uh, scene later in the film. Um, it's uh, I, I I stand by everything Sean has said. It's a it's a, a truly excellent film. It's a masterwork. It's a masterwork. Yeah. Um, and again, I've had the luxury of seeing it twice now, and um, yeah, it's I just love it. Often the second viewing of a film is a real test, and um, I've had some success this year. And the quality of the film standing up on a second viewing and and becoming richer. Um, I mean, goodness me, Sandra Sandra Hula's performance is is just revelatory. She's extraordinary. I can't find enough uh, words to describe how brilliant she is. Very, very, very skillful performance. And the film um, uh, was, was, was written by Justine Trier and her partner Arthur Harari uh, during COVID lockdown. So um, when the film is tackling the complexities of marriage, it does, I feel, ring true. Mm. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just great to see this film receive the recognition that it has so far because I... I love it. I know you love it, and I, I am just so happy. And I, I would just shout out to all of the listeners out there who are film lovers. I really recommend you go to some film festivals and and the chance to see these films without knowing anything really about them. It's just wonderful meeting and falling in love with them with with no prior knowledge. Mm. This is a really pure way of experiencing great films. And I think we saw this film three or four weeks after it won the Palm Tree, which was yeah. a very Really, yeah. Very privileged. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, best actor at Cannes went to Koji Yakusho for Perfect Days. That's a, a, another wonderful film. Um, and a, a, a beautiful performance. It's uh, Vim Vendors in Japan. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who'd know? Who, who, would, who would think that would happen? But yeah, uh, it, it's, it's just a gorgeous film and, and just highlights the joy in the everyday and Watching this film, you just think, oh, you know, I wish I could do my job as well as a toilet cleaner in Japan does. He's, he's just, uh, he's so absolutely full of the, the joy of daily life and his rituals that he has. Um, it's, it's a really beautiful film. It definitely is. And it, it's great to see um, Koji Yakusho play a happy role. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of his um his filmography that I've seen anyway, films like Cure by um Kiyoshi Kurosawa, uh and are not are not happy. So and And his face, his smiling face is his elation. is just one of the joys of the last year in cinema. He's just <laughs> infectious, yeah. Hundred percent, and uh, the the films, uh, the music as well. Uh, he listens to a lot of dad rock. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. On cassette. On cassette. And yeah. uh, some of the younger characters in the film find that to be cool and 
I, I thought I thought the interactions he had with um, with younger characters, you know, relating to the music in the film was was particularly interesting as well. Yeah, I, I think um, the audience will get a chance to see this in Australia in cinemas next year. Uh, this year. This year, yes. This year, yeah. yeah, this yeah. Year, yeah. I believe it releases in um, uh, March or April yeah. in Australia in general release. So um, please do see Perfect Days. It's, is it uh, Japan's submission? I think it is Japan's submission for the Academy Awards, yeah. No, they've had a lot to choose from this year. Yeah, there's uh, some other films we'll be talking about that also could have easily been uh, selections as well. So um, I didn't mention it before, but the main jury... Uh, from Cannes this year. The jury president was Ruben Ostland, who last year took out the palm for Triangle of Sadness, the um, uh, satire. Uh, Paul Dano, the American actor, uh, was also in the jury, alongside uh, Julia DeCorno, who won the palm in 2021 for Titan. Uh, Brie Larson, uh, Denny Menoshe, um, Ragnardo Nioni, sorry for the pronunciation, um, who is a Welsh filmmaker. Uh, Atik Rami, uh, the Afghani uh, director. You got the easy jury here, Jim. Oh. <laughs> I think I did get the... Uh, uh, Damien Zafron, the Argentinian filmmaker, and Miriam Tisani, the Moroccan filmmaker, who um, we saw a feature of last year, The Blue Kaftan. Oh, yes, wonderful uh, film. Yep. Yeah, great film. It should have been in competition that year, but um, we're talking about Cannes 2023 here. Um, yeah, and it, it took them from memory quite a while to find a jury this year. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure what the machinations were about that. So, Jim. I think we're moving now to another part of Europe, the, the Venice Film Festival. Um, this is the, I suppose, you'd, if you're talking about the big three, which we are today, um, this is the, 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 the last of the big festivals of the year. Um, this year's was the 80th Venice Film Festival, held from the 30th of 30th of August to the 9th of September, and opened with a film called Commandant, directed by Eduardo De Angelis. Um, let's see how I go with my jury now. I think my jury uh, is a little easier to pronounce than Paul Sean's can jury, but a really illustrious jury again, um, headed by the president, uh, Damien Chazelle, American filmmaker, um, Salah Bakri, Palestinian actor, Jane Campion, New Zealand filmmaker, Mia Hansen-Lerber, Filmmaker and actress uh, Gabrielle Manetti, Martin McDonough, the British Irish filmmaker, Santiago Mitra, an Argentine filmmaker, Laura Poitras, who won uh, the Golden Lion the year before for All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, uh, documentarian filmmaker, and uh, the final person on the jury was Shuchi, a Taiwanese Hong Kong actress. So um, we talked about uh, the Golden Bear in Berlin and we have the Palme d'Or in Cannes. We have the Golden Lion as the major prize in Venice, which went to Yorgos Lanthimos' film uh, Poor Things. The jury prize went to Evil Does Not Exist by Raisuki Hamaguchi and the special jury prize went to Green Border by Agnieszka Holland. Um, the Volpe Cup is the award they give for actor and actress in the Venice Festival, and Kaylee Spaney won for Priscilla, Best Actress, and Peter Sarsgaard for Memory. These are films that we will be talking about. So um, they, a bit like Berlin, have their main competition. They also have other sections, and the, this other section in the Venice Film Festival is Horizons, 
which is quite a huge program, actually. I remember Sean and I watching the announcement of all the uh, Venice films, and my gosh, it felt like hours. Yeah, I was almost looking at my watch. Yeah, (laughs) that never happens when we talk about film together. Okay. And, you know, the the Out of Competition at at Venice this year, you know, had had directors like William Friedkin, Harmony Kareen, Richard Linklater, Woody Allen, Wes Anderson, Frederick Wiseman. I mean, it's a these are notable filmmakers just to be in an out of competition slot. So. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. So a great festival. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the films that were prize winners. Um, I, m- I might get this out of the way first up. The 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 Golden Line winner, Poor Things, uh, where I feel like I'm definitely out of the. Uh, the everyday thought on this prize winner. The Greek film, uh, Greek filmmaker Wilgus Lanthimos has made films in the past, The Favourite, The Lobster, Killing of a Sacred Deer. You've possibly seen, if not all of those films. This is a bit of a change of direction for him, I feel. It's a really fantastical tale. Uh, it's the evolution of a woman named Bella Baxter who's brought back to life Frankenstein-like by Dr Godwin Baxter, or God, as is his abbreviation. Um, and uh, his creation, Bella, is eager to, to run off and learn, uh, meets uh, an oversexed lawyer played by an outrageous Mark Ruffalo, uh, and it's almost like an innocent, well, she is an innocent, she's like a baby brain inside a, a, an adult woman go, having to learn the, the workings of society, and uh, as the film continues, she becomes a champion for quality, liberation, all really, really fantastic themes there. Um, the one thing I will say, Emma Stone is incredibly inspired in this movie. Dazzling, bold, uh, funny. Um, she obviously had a wonderful time making this and she's totally memorable. I mean, this would be a, the dream role for any actor or actress. Absolutely. But I'm not sure all would take it on. You know, no, it's, it's, no. Yeah. It's a very, very bold film. And yeah. um, in a sense, even though crickets, I, I didn't really... Love poor things. I'm happy to see it receive this recognition. I'm so grateful I have someone else that feels this way. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't think I've heard anyone speak negatively of this film before. I had a really fantastic conversation with uh, 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 my cousin yesterday who went to see the film um, and uh, we had a really exciting um, discussion about it over the phone yesterday. And um, yeah, she adores it. And I said, I, I'm so glad you adore it, but I want to know why you adore it. We, it was really good to have both have our points of view across. Because for me, while the production design's wild and crazy and it's you know, fish-eyed lenses, and I just find it two and a half hours, it just it does become repetitive for me. And, and the excess just starts to wear away at me, that, that length. Maybe it's that 90-minute thing again, I don't know. But the two and a half hours, I just made me tired. Um, and I think the film has so much goodwill and so much positivity to say. I just feel it, it wears its welcome out. Um, what do you think, Sean? Mm. I, I tend to agree. Yeah. For me, though, I guess the reason why I, I'm not higher on the film is um, because I think it undermines what Yorgos Lanthimos uh, has achieved in the past and does so well generally um, is that he creates a world that is so similar to our own but there is a difference there is uh, there are almost invisible rules that bound the characters uh, in ways that we as a viewer don't understand and that the characters almost blindly follow Um, and while it is I suppose a sign of you know longevity uh, as a filmmaker that he's uh, attempting and I suppose most people would say has very successfully um, done something so different to his uh, signature style. Uh, For me, he 
in a way, said less in this film than he said in all of his previous work. Um, films like The Lobster, which challenge the rules of society as we so blindly see them, or films like The Killing of a Sacred Deer that apply uh, almost a biblical sense of morals on uh, justice, or Dogtooth, which brilliantly dismantles the family unit and um, I guess the life lessons uh, and knowledge that is passed down through heritage. I, I, I don't know. I just feel, I feel that poor things, while I agree with the message and I love the look of the film and I love the performances, came together to be something... Almost so, yes, it's, it, it's all of this, it's fantastical, it's stunning, but it's, it's just that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. It's, it's good to have that discussion about this film, that this in current release in cinemas and, and, and like I say, wide, widely praised, uh, winning a lot of uh, major rewards uh, outside of, of Venice. So make your own mind up, folks. Um, uh, but uh, it's certainly not a film to be ignored, that's, that's for sure. It's certainly something that's uh, quite bold. On another extreme, another end of a spectrum, I should rather say, another film that was a prize winner at Venice that I've seen is Green Border. Um, this is um, the new film by Agnieszka Holland, um, Polish filmmaker. Um, I haven't seen a lot of her work. I, I, I remember seeing a film of hers as a baby cinephile many, many years ago called Europa Europa um, that I'm really impressed and has stayed with me. Uh, that was a World War II story. But this is much, very much a, a contemporary story about events on the, on the Polish-Belarus border. Um, again, there are a number of strands in the film. There's the story with a psychologist named Julia and she joins some activists who help refugees get across the border. We also follow a Syrian family who are making that dangerous crossing and there's a border guard named Yarm and we also follow his story. Um, this is a rightfully angry film and it's been controversial in the homeland of Poland where the, the director is from uh, and attacked actually by their government. She's been called a Nazi. She's been called a Nazi, which when you watch the film, it's, it's such a compassionate film you can't really understand. Um, she's using a very much a documentary style, black and white, um, there's an initial scene in colour that gives you like a... Uh, yeah, well, the film opens with an aerial an shot, aerial shot yeah. and maybe 15 seconds in, all the colour, all of the life fades away from the screen and, and you're left with... We're left with the grey. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's a, a cruel and unforgiving piece of the, the world, this, this, uh, this border. It's, it's uh, very vividly created. Um, sometimes it's hard to even believe you are watching um, something staged because it just feels so authentic. Um, those three storylines I've just mentioned, for me, don't always come together as effectively as they could. I feel um, they, they should mesh it maybe a little better. If, but I'm, I'm, I would say this is a really essential watch. It's, it's, it's important. It's, it's not easy, but it shouldn't be. Um, and the thing that really struck me, you know, we're, we're talking about these people crossing from Belarus into Poland... And uh, at the end of the film, there's a postscript which talks about the current Ukrainian situation and, and that all of these crises are, are ongoing. It's not, this, is not, this is not resolved. This is happening right now, which is very sobering. Yeah, yeah. it is. Mm. And I believe um, that epilogue is in colour as well. Yes, yeah. yes. Notably bookended, yeah. Mm. 
Um, another prize winner from Venice was the Best Actress winner, which went to Kaylee Spaney for um, Sofia Coppola's film Priscilla. Um, which I, was a really interesting decision the jury made. Very interesting decision, yeah. Um, and I don't have a lot of problem with it because I think she's she, what she pulls off in this film is quite something. It's uh, if, you, if you're not aware of uh, this, it's uh, Priscilla Bolio, the um, wife of Elvis Presley. Film opens when she's 14 years old and she does meet Elvis at a party. And um, before long, she's moved into Graceland. Their relationship is kept pretty much under wraps and hidden. Um, Elvis, played by Jacob Elordi, really well, actually. Uh, impressive performance. Um, he seems really devoted to her, but the, he's always away on film sets and there's the rumours and tabloid celebrity relationship rumours and drug-taking, etc. And why I really enjoyed this film so much, I was thought it was excellent. It was, it's a real counterpoint to the Baz Luhrmann film from last year. Um, which portrayed Elvis as, you know, basically the victim of a, of a, a manager, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, whereas this is a completely different focus on that Elvis, if I can call it myth, I don't know, but it's very unflinching. It's, it's an unhealthy and controlling relationship that's under observation here. Um, the couple of style is very muted and subdued, sometimes clinical. There's a real feeling of loneliness and emptiness in Graceland, which is... Something I found was really beautifully evoked. Um, Kaylee Spaney, I've mentioned, and Jacob Elordi, really first rate. Um, I really was taken by surprise by Priscilla. I was not expecting. Again, I have a bit of a checkered past with Sofia Coppola. Love some, not so much others. But um, I think she's really achieved something significant here. Yeah, and it feels like, for all of that, it's the film the most in her style of all of her features, and yet it feels new. Mm, it doesn't yeah, feel like she's repeating herself. Yeah. It's kind of remarkable in that sense that it can feel so... There's no mistaking it's a Sofia Coppola film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I, I, I agree with the, all that you've said. I think um, you're maybe a little bit higher on the film in general than I am. Yes. Um, but I think both performances are first rate. I think the mood the film uh, captures is very immersive. It's, um, even though it's a very specific story, I feel it rings true. Yep. So it's in currently in cinema release, so I would highly recommend checking it out. Um, I don't think the Presley estate are particularly happy about it. They're not. and um, There's no Elvis no, music that's in the notable. film at all. It's yeah. quite notable. Um, but it is based on uh, the memoir by Priscilla Presley, mm. um, Yeah, which has it's sprung up a lot of interesting conversations on the idea of an authorised biopic. And I feel my one critique about Priscilla is that you do feel that towards the end of the film... Um, where, and I, I suppose in saying this, it does go to show how great Kaylee Spaney is as Priscilla. Um, but she starts out um, as, I mean, a child, a preteen. Yeah. And then by the end of the film, she's in her late 20s, potentially even early 30s, and she's able to sell that gradual transition uh, as, well as, as well as Emma Stone in Poor Things. Um, but I would have liked to have seen more of the grown-up Priscilla, more of the maturity, more of the assured uh, woman, you know? Mm. And you don't get that in the film. Um, and it, it just sort of ends. But in saying that, I guess it's better than being overlong. Yeah, and um, I, I have uh, particular feelings about biopics. Biopics are definitely not my favourite types of films, even though there's multitudes of them made every year these days. That There's so many that currently want to do like a, I call it a, a womb to tomb sort of view of her life. <laughs> um, and I, I, a film like Priscilla just gives you a small like 
10-year period or something, and I, I find that much a more deeper dive, a more interesting oh, one yeah. than trying to encapsulate an entire life. Um, definitely not a, a fan of the biopic. So that's why Priscilla was such a lovely surprise for me. And you prefer Priscilla to Elvis? Absolutely, yeah. 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 No, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> Good. Um, I just mentioned, uh, I haven't seen this film, but this, uh, just a notable prize winner from Venice was uh, Io Capitano, uh, an Italian film by Matteo Garoni. I won the Silver Lion. And it's actually going to be in cinemas soon in Brisbane and I'm guessing around Australia. So keep an eye out for this Italian film in February, March in cinemas. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it and I'm hoping you put it in your diary as well. Um, so they're the films I've seen from Venice. I know Sean has seen some films I haven't. Um, he has seen uh, Evil Does Not Exist and Memory. Um, we have both seen The Killer and The Beast, but I'm going to pass over to Sean sure. to talk about those films. Uh, I suppose I'll, I'll start with um, the film I saw most recently, which is Memory, uh, the latest film by um, Michelle Franco. Uh, who is a Mexican filmmaker that um, I followed his work for a little while, but this is without a doubt um, the film of his uh, I've connected to uh, the most. I think it's his uh, best film from what I've seen. Uh, it stars uh, Peter Sarsgaard, who won the Best Actor Prize uh, at Venice. Um, he... A lot of people have considered it a supporting role, but he really is a co-lead to Jessica Chastain, who gives a career best in this film, I think. Um, she is remarkable. Uh, her character... You, you know, in what, what we were saying before about, um, about a great companion piece, I, I'd love to see memory double-billed with On the Adamant, um, because Jessica Chastain's character in this, uh, she works at an adult daycare centre okay. and um, the film is, uh, is so compassionate and it is so many things that you wouldn't expect from a Michelle Franco film, <laughs> in all honesty. Um, the, but the premise of the film is uh, that Jessica Chastain's character, Sylvia, attends a high school reunion where she's followed home by someone that she may know, maybe she doesn't know, only he seemingly can't remember um but what the film does is that it uses memory as this uh concept to examine an ensemble of characters so he can't he can't remember but she can too much she can't forget what's happened um there are also two notable supporting performances um from Merritt Weaver who whose character also struggles with memory as well. Um, she plays uh, Jessica Chastain's sister and their mother is played by Jessica Harper who starred in the original uh, 1970... <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you may have to disagree, buddy. The original uh, 70s Suspiria by Argento. Um, and I've always considered Jessica Harper to be a great actress, but I feel she's often... Um, She's often given parts that aren't, aren't super meaty, in all honesty. She was in um, both of the Suspirias. Uh, she was also in Guadagnino's Bones and All in a small role. Um, but in memory, she does get something to do, and I was um, pretty stunned. Uh, I don't want to say too much about this film because I know it hasn't really screened yet. It hasn't uh, technically 
premiered in Australia. Um, I was fortunate to see it um, through the uh, Indie Spirit Awards. Um, but it's a f- phenomenal film. And, I can't um, wait to see it. Yeah, <laughs> one that's really stuck with me. Um, I know after this we'll, we'll discuss the uh, jury awards at Venice, but I would have liked to have seen a reshuffling uh, to make room for this film. Um, and also La Bette, The Beast, which is the new film from director Bertrand Bonello, who um, is a very uh, interesting French auteur. Um, I'm a big fan of his previous film, Nocturama, um, but in The Beast, he adapts... Uh, he makes a very freewheeling adaptation of the classic novel The Beast in the Jungle, um, which was published in the early 1900s, prior to 1910 even, I believe. Um, but rather than being a literal adaptation of the text, um, I like how the, actually the New York um, Film Festival director, Dennis Lim, described it as a distillation of the novel's mood. And it is very much that. It is a film of looming suspense and dread split across three time periods, um, all of which starring uh, the always great Leah Sedu and the constantly surprising George Mackay. Absolutely. And he is a, he's really surprising in this. He's so threatening in the he final is. story. Um, gosh, terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Mm. I agree. Um, yeah, so it's set in 1910, um, which is where most of the novel is actually in play. Also in 2014 um, and 2044, um, I don't know if you, you would agree with me. I think the 2014 section of the film is what works best. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree okay. with that. Yeah, yeah. It's almost a slasher. It, it is. It, it takes this detour that's so unexpected, but it uses space and, and sets in a remarkable way. It does. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and uh, technology as well, even though it's not something that um, really comes into play in that middle section of the film. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a non-linear banner, mm. I feel. <laughs> and also, here's a chance to absolutely say, here's a film that is two and a half hours. Yes, uh, yeah, in 225. Late, 225, yeah. And just uh, it, it, it moves at such a brisk pace. So here I am defending a movie over 90 minutes. <laughs> okay. Yes. It's, it's what you do with it, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's a breathtaking film, really adventurous and bold, and I it agree is. with everything Sean said about um, the I have no idea when this will release in Australia. Um, my best guess is it will play the French Film Festival, um, I wonder how that crowd will respond to this film. Well, it will be interesting because this is, uh, uh, I think this is walkout territory for a lot of audiences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's, for those who want to take the, uh, the, the chance on it, it's worthwhile. And I'd, I'd like to say as well as uh, two great lead performances, the film also has two supporting performances that I was um, enthralled by. Um, the actress from St. Omer... Uh, Gislagi Melanda plays an android and the makeup work on her is like crazy (laughs) yeah it is yeah yeah it's uh, honestly like uh, if um, Greta Gerwig's Barbie was a horror movie is how I (laughs) that's how I put it yeah because it uses colour in the same sort of way yeah yeah yeah. yeah. and um, 
uh, podcaster and actress uh, Dasha Nekrasova is also in the film um, and she plays uh, a model in Los Angeles mm. and it's kind of um, a really it's, it's a small but it's a really memorable performance yeah yeah it uh, yeah, reminded me a fair bit of um, the film The Neon Demon. Okay, um, which I haven't caught up with. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I don't think is as good as The Beast, but um, shares a, a visual sensibility. Uh, Evil Does Not Exist, uh, which came second at Venice. Um, it's a film by Ryosuke Hamaguchi, who is most notable for winning a few Oscars, um, being nominated for more for Drive My Car. Well, actually, he only he only won international. I, I think he only won international, but he was nominated for... Yes, for yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, screenplay. Screenplay, yeah. Picture, yeah. And picture, which was fantastic, because yeah. Drive My Car, if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Stop everything and stop the podcast and go and watch Drive My Car now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but where Drive My Car was... Um, was a very expansive um, three-hour-long short story adaptation. Evil Does Not Exist is a different beast entirely. Um, it's a film that was developed around uh, a piece of score by uh, composer Iko Ishibashi, who, who did the Drive My Car score as well. Um, contrary to the title of the film, as it would turn out, Evil Does Exist, um, it's a cautionary ecological tale. Uh, it's a film I feel about how good intentions often pave the road to hell. Uh, it's a very subtle, minimalistic film, um, which is what impressed me so much about it. Um, after, and not just Drive My Car, but uh, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is a very talky film. This is a very quiet, reserved film, uh, very contemplative, where it's just as well as those features um i think it definitely uh warranted second place um it was a serious contender wasn't it it was for the, um, for the uh, it was and it was a film that almost came out of nowhere i remember we, we were watching the, the venice uh, lineup announcement and we're a bit like oh, oh. here's a new film yeah <laughs> but I, I was lucky enough to see it at the uh, asia pacific screen awards um uh, yeah, it didn't win the top prize there, shockingly. Um, but uh, it's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, onto something uh, also with uh, integral music, The Killer by David Fincher, which um, utilises a lot of uh, The Smiths, um, which I found to be a real... Uh, I found it really amusing. Yeah, a real, a real cheeky, cheeky note to that film. Uh I think I'm um, I'm more positive on the killer than you. I think just a little. I, yeah. I still really enjoyed yeah. it. There's okay, good. And good. I still think about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess coming off uh, Mank, which very talky, very yeah, very disappointing for me. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm. Well, I you I liked quite, Mank I, more than I me. I did like Mank. It was a revelation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mank was the maestro of its year. I feel okay. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, the Killer is adapted from a graphic novel. Um, it stars Michael Fassbinder as a globe-hopping assassin uh, who seeks out revenge on the organisation that has employed him. Um, it has quite a large cast, but other than Fassbinder, I'd really only draw a note to uh, <laughs> real scene-stealing Tilda Swinton, who uh, in the film is described as looking like a Q-tip. 
This is a killer scene in a movie called The Killer. It's yeah. a, it's just a, an incredible dance between two actors over a, a, a dinner table. Yeah. It's it's worth the price of subscription. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, not not so much admission, but um, I was very fortunate to see this in a theatre, which um, I think yeah enhanced my enjoyment of of the film. But um, coming from a, a director that is so well known for his twists and for his uh, narrative complications. What I enjoyed so much about The Killer was that he kind of cut the fluff. There's none of that. It's a very straightforward film, um, but it is about how uh, an assassin, a hitman, could do his job in today's world with the technology and the resources that we all have access to. Yeah. And it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a serial, not really a serial killer, a hitman, uh, who basically does yoga and eats McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> he's in Paris and he, he gets a Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, yeah, yeah very, very interesting. And uh, I also love that there's a, a note about how he has to blend in, so he puts on a fedora. <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> yeah. an enjoyable film. I, I, I certainly had a good time with it, yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend. That's on Netflix at the moment. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, Netflix original. Um, also, a great score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who yes, are who staples did. for Fincher as well. Not sure if there was any other films you wanted to talk about at Venice, but how about we uh, discuss the awards? And do you feel the jury got it right? Um, well, of course, because my feelings about poor things. No, I don't think they got it right. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't feel I've also seen enough to to uh, to comment. I, I, I'm really excited about seeing Memory, um, and Evil does not exist. Um, Green Border would have been, would have been an interesting uh, political statement to give that the golden line. Maybe they didn't want to go down that road. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts, Sean? That's that's my kind of vague thoughts on the prize giving. Um, well, I think it's quite clear that uh, the jury president was American. Yeah. Um, in the awards given out. Um, I would have liked to have seen either Green Border or Evil Does Not Exist win The Golden Lion. Um, I think they're both phenomenal films. Uh, or The Beast as well. I think, yeah, I think it's shocking that The Beast didn't uh, win a single award in the competition. Yeah, I mean, it's strange because, you know, the, the, the performances are so solid and it, it's an exciting film. Yeah. Could have won director, actor or actress. Yeah, director would have actually been probably... a. A good move. Yeah, yeah but I, I honestly, if I think I had to swap them around, I would have, I would have given the beast the golden lion, um, and I, I probably would have swapped the Volpe cups around. I would have given Jessica Chastain actress um, for best actor. I don't know. I really well, don't. This this is just something we'll have to resolve when we end up on the jury yeah. one day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, folks, we're getting towards the end of our podcast, but this is the exciting part for us because we're about to reveal our 10 favourite films of 2023 and uh, we don't know what films we've chosen. This is uh, going to be a revelation as we go. Uh, I don't know what Sean has picked. He has not what I picked. So if there's a bit of gasping during the next uh, 10 minutes excuse or so, us. excuse us. But um, Do you want to start with number 10? I might start with just a couple of awards. I, I'd like to say who I, I thought were the best performances of the year, if okay. you'd like to do that. Yes. And um, uh, there's no doubt you've heard us waxing lyrical about Sandra Hula. She is far and above the best actress of 2023 for Anatomy for Four. 
um, in my opinion. I would agree. Fantastic. She's so the best, best there. actress. Yep. And my best actor prize um, is going to Franz Rogowski for Passages. Oh my god! Yeah. Really? Uh, wow. I, I cannot believe the the way he carries that character, finding making someone so abrasive and frustrating into so someone so compelling. Okay. Well, um, I'd have to give my best actor prize to Josh O'Connor for La Chimera, <sighs> yes. who is uh, a revelation. He learned Italian for this film, um, but more than just learning a language as a gimmick, he inhabits such a fragile, broken character. And um, over the course of the film, uh, comes to find a new moral compass. And I... Yeah, I'd, I'd, we didn't actually talk about Alakamira during our can recap, um, but Josh O'Connor is uh, is deserving of all the awards. Three three films that didn't make my top ten, so I suppose these are my cheating 11, 12 and 13. Okay. Uh, uh, Mira, who just mentioned, uh, which is, uh, again, I agree, a terrific performance by Josh O'Connor. Uh, La Bette, The Beast, which we've just talked about in quite depth, and also Oppenheimer is in... In, in the just just missed out category, just missed out which okay. uh, again is a film that stood up even better on the second viewing strangely okay. enough Sean what's your number 10 film of the year well my honourable mentions oh, if oh, we're sorry. doing these let's do our honourable mentions <laughs> I'd say the three that just missed out for me um, are Past Lives which I absolutely adored um, Celine's song uh, what a great debut this was three brilliant performances um Hounds, which... Oh, wow. How cool. Yeah, which uh, screened at Cannes and we saw in Melbourne. Uh, it's a phenomenal film. Just missed out on the top ten, on my top ten. And I'd I say... So, can I just say, I'm really happy that Hounds got mentioned because it's a terrific thriller. Oh, yeah. 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 Great film. Super tight. Um, and my number 11, Evil Does Not Exist, oh. um, by Ryosuke Hamaguchi. Loved it. And your ten? Oh, my God. My number ten... <laughs> <laughs> My number 10 um, is Monster by Hirokazu Koreeda, which we spoke about earlier. I just was so taken away by how much compassion he has for all of his characters. You know, this is a film that deals with a lot of social injustice, with a lot of, um, a lot of cruelty um, in the fringes of, of the film. And I, I, I loved how... Uh, each character in this film is not who you'd think they were on first glance, and um, I don't, I don't want to give anything away about this film truly, but I, I just loved how it played with my uh, expectations. And coming off of um, his previous film Broker, which won Best Actor at Cannes previous year, and that I didn't enjoy as much, I was really, really blown away by um, this feature. My number 10 is All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, the documentary. Um, Laura Poitras, the documentarian, has made this remarkable film about an activist and artist called Nan Golden. I went into this film not even really knowing who Nan Golden was, which, I don't know, may be a bad thing, but I I was glad to to learn about her through her slideshows and interviews and photography and and this incredible fight to hold the Sackler family accountable for the opioid crisis and and have their names removed from the different galleries and in, around the world. Um, it, it is multiple facets of a life, a long and really interesting life, and I just walked out of that cinema feeling I know this person, um, and I was really energised by what I thought was a really fantastic, the only documentary in my top ten. Wow. 
and one I need to catch up on ASAP. Um, my number nine is Fallen Leaves um, by Yay. Aki Kurosaki. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, yeah, um, probably was the runner-up for the Palm Dog Award at Cannes. Um, not to mention it also won the jury prize. Um, what's not to love about this 81 minutes of um, melancholic romance? Uh, it's a satire, but it's not a satire. It's heartfelt until it isn't. Um, it's a film about two individuals in a broken world uh, who meet and fall in love the end. But... It's so much more than that. It is um, a masterwork on colour theory. Uh, it is a film um, where every part of every frame feels perfectly uh, in focus and the attention to detail um, yeah, is, is exceptional. Uh, it was my first Kurosmaki, far from my last. Um, unlike some other filmmakers in this list, he is very prolific, um, but he seems to really work at the same level with each film. I'm so excited you've seen your first quarter as Maki because I'm a, a fan for many years. And, uh, yeah, I, it, it's there's always a smile on my face when I'm watching his films. Yeah, he's <laughs> just... Uh, he's so distinctive in the way he tells his stories and... You know, some people might think he's telling the same story, but no, I don't feel that way. I think there's always something richer there. Um, my nine is also Monster, so I won't talk too much about Monster, as Sean has talked about it, the Coriator, here is Zaku Coriator film. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I've loved Coriator's films. Uh, Shoplifters and Still Walking are probably two of my favourites of his. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, make sure you don't miss Monster. It's a wonderful story, um, and, and it's told in such a unique way. So number eight? Number eight? Yeah. Okay. Well, a film we haven't spoken about yet. My number eight is The Beasts Asbestos, a film by Rodrigo uh, Saragoyan, uh, which screened in Cam premieres back in 2022, but um, had its uh, release this year, well, in 2023. Um, this is a nail-biting thriller. Um a long film, but one that sucked me in entirely. Um, it stars the magnificent Denny Menochet and the brilliant Mariana Force um, as a married couple, a French couple, uh, living in... set in Spain, isn't it? Yes, it is Spain, yeah. Yeah, it's set in Spain. And um, they... Gal Galicia, I believe yes. it is. Rural Galicia. <laughs> it's a, a backwards thriller um, about uh, a couple that are, that don't gel in this community. There's a lot of xenophobia um, with a few of their neighbours um, and uh, conflict comes to a head when they disagree on uh, the construction of wind turbines. Yeah, really, really tense thriller. Um, and your number eight... Well, before we leave, I'll, actually, I'll come back because the beasts may make a reappearance in a moment, but I think <laughs> my number eight is Fallen Leaves. So, again, I seem to be kind of just behind Sean in here with talking about the films. Yes, I agree. And about Fallen Leaves is Aki Kurismaki, Out of Retirement. Thank God he came out of retirement. Um, it is, is just a wonderful way of telling optimistic tales through very, very dour sort of straight-faced characters. Um, we didn't mention that Fallen Leaves 
will be getting released in cinemas on Valentine's Day, which I just think is just the best release strategy oh, for yeah. this film. Um, if you haven't seen Kairos Baki, go and, and, and throw yourself into this exciting new world. Or if you love him, you will adore it. So Fallen Leaves is my number eight. Yep. Wonderful. Well, um, my number seven, and from here on up, this was pretty tough. Yep. My number seven is A Fire by Christian Petzold. Um, yeah, I, I spoke about this film earlier um, in the show, but yeah, it is a film about the last summer. Um, it's uh, a romantic comedy. It's a tragedy. Um, it is a film about work and uh, I guess the merit of work, the artistic work versus labour. And I just was so shocked by how much I felt this film. Mm. And I, uh, I, I've, I'm pretty high on Christian Petzold in general, but, um, yeah, this was an excellent work um, and one that I've seen myself continually revisiting. Um, I will say as well, Paula Beer in this film is <laughs> astonishing. She is my uh, supporting actress prize for this year. Wow. Yeah, Paula Beer in a fire. Yeah. Yes, good mm. choice. <laughs> Uh, your number seven? My number seven is a film we haven't either talked about so far, which is good, E.O., uh, the 85-year-old Polish director Jerzy Skolomowski's film, um, which is visually astonishing. Um, it's a story of a donkey. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, or Azad Baltazar, the Bresson film, but uh, it's kind of been taken on a new direction, inspired by that earlier classic um, the film opens with a, a donkey named EO, the titular EO, being torn from a, a handler in a, in a circus and he basically makes this trek across town and ends up with some, in a clash with some football hooligans and it's just, a, it's an odyssey film. Um, but the, the real achievement is it gives us access to an inner life of an animal throughout. You almost feel like you are watching the, the whole world through the perspective of this donkey. Um, it's, I call it the purest form of cinema. It's it grossing... The film is adventurous too. It's confusing sometimes. Some things feel abstract and really random, but I found it utterly compelling. Extraordinary music score, and also I'll second that. My favourite mu music score of the year, actually. Um, I, I thought it was amazing. And EO is available on physical media if you are into physical media, as you should be. But it's also can be uh, bought or rented through the Apple Store as well. But yeah, EO is magnificent. Not in my top ten, but a film that I absolutely adore as well. Um, number six, uh, Green Border, Agnieszka Holland. Cool. Um, a film that uh, left me distraught, to be honest. Um, I was so deeply affected by this film, um, by the depiction of the humanitarian crisis and how um, people's lives um, don't matter when it comes down to politics. You know, it's uh, cinema verite. Um, yeah, it's a breathtaking film. Uh, I know you spoke about it before, Jim, and you said that you felt that the narrative threads um, didn't, didn't mesh. tie together uh, for you. But for me, I, I disagree. I feel showing so many sides of the conflict helped to... Um, helped, helped to, I guess, show how such a simple solution can be distorted and turned into propaganda and 
some of the images in this film I haven't been able to get out of my head. You know, babies being passed through barbed wire. It's a shocking, shocking yep. film. Um, it is so important. I think, as I said, it's tough, but it's essential. It is essential. Yeah, it is yeah. brave um, that this film was made, that this film was financed. Um, yeah, I, I wish... In any other year, this would have been higher. In, a, in, in another year, this could have been yeah, my number one. A solid year. Yeah, because yeah. I think this is a masterpiece. Um, yeah, it, it left me angry. Yeah, and as it, its director intended to. Yes. My number six is A Fire. We already discussed um, the, the Petzl film. Petzl won me back with this. <laughs> um, uh, we've talked about this a lot during the podcast, but um, I, I, it was totally engaging. Um, Wonderful uh, performances and, uh, yeah. And I, I loved having a grumpy uh, protagonist in a film. It's just fun. He, and he, there's such wonderful humour drawn from his <laughs> ineptness, shall we say. And the film is so playful It is as playful, well. but then leaves you utterly moved in its final frames. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, my number five... This might be a bit controversial, actually. Yeah. My number five is Anatomy of a Fall by Justine Trier. Well... <laughs> This is a surprise. Um, it's an astonishing film. Uh, it rings true. Um, it's a film that offers no easy answers, and yet I felt very comforted at the end of the film. Um, again, I, I think this film has the best performance of the year in Sandra Huller. I think it has the best child performance of the year. Um, sorry to 20,000 Species of Bees and Totem, which I both adored um, but yeah Milo Machado Grania in this film um, yeah, play, he's, he's playing a vision yeah. impaired uh, boy who may or may not have witnessed uh, a death is just so sad um, I cannot wait to rewatch this film I haven't seen it since um, June at the Sydney Film Festival um, and I, yeah, I only expect my, my score will go up my score went up on a second viewing, so yep. I'm keen to see what happens with you. And your number five? My number five is The Beasts, uh, the, the film you've just been talking about, the Rodrigo Sorogoyan film. Um, my gosh, talk about a nail-biter. Sean called it a nail-biter. I think uh, it was so, it's such a tense film, uh, remarkably sustained. Uh, it, again, another example of a lengthy film that absolutely holds you and grips you. It's mesmerising. Um, there's a beautiful setting and then there's this horror of this xenophobic treatment of this, this couple, uh, the French couple who come to Spain. Um, I won't say much more, but keep an eye out for it, folks. I don't know where you're going to be able to see it, but I'm hoping in the next few months it'll be available on, on streaming services. But The Beasts, don't confuse it with The Beast. We have the problem of two films that we both love this year called The Beast and The Beasts, but this is the Spanish The Beasts. My number four, my number four <laughs> uh, is a film called Do Not Expect Too Much from the End of the World from the Romanian filmmaker Radu Jude. Um, this film competed at the Locarno Film Festival last year. Um, apparently it was rejected from Cannes. Um, shame on Cannes. I think it's a phenomenal film. Uh, it's... It's a film that follows an underpaid and uh, overworked young woman who works as um, an assistant for a multinational company and she's uh, tasked with driving around uh, Bucharest uh, trying to find 
and interview victims of workplace safety accidents for an educational video on workplace safety. Um, but as the film progresses, you begin to realise, well, in fact, um, it's all for save this company's ass. it's all for their liability. Um, these... These people that she interviews um, have their lives uh, and the state of being ripped to shreds um, in a phenomenal scene um, by the actress Nina Hoss, who plays <laughs> kind of like um, the publicist from hell. She gives a great performance. Um, what's so fascinating about this film is how it interpolates... Uh, a Romanian film um, starring a cab driver named Angela and it's noteworthy that the lead in this film is also called Angela um, but it shows uh, Romania in film versus the real Romania mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a lot going on in this film um, it's, it's a film yeah. that uh, I feel ashamed I haven't seen yet, but it's, it's at the top of the list. I need to rectify this immediately. Yes. Now, now that it has appeared as your number four film of the year. <laughs> I'm not sure when this will be released, but it's, um, I will just say it is a very provocative film. Uh, it's almost three hours long. It is not for everyone, but it most certainly was for me. Um, I don't think I will see a depiction of late-stage capitalism as um, smart as this in a long time. I'm excited, yeah. I must also put a disclaimer on this to say that Sean and I are both very big fans of Romanian cinema, so that's got me very excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, my number four is about dry grasses, okay? Whoa. The Nuri Bilge Ceylon film. Uh, Sean talked a little bit about this in his can wrap-up, um, yeah, it's, um, it's the story of a teacher who is going through an accusation of inappropriate contact with a student um, and he, he's just dreaming of this escape and uh, he has this existential crisis. It's such a powerful film in establishing a sense of place um, and the harsh environment has worn down these residents. You can see why these people are as they are uh, by the, the cruelty of basically the environment in which they live. Um, I, uh, I think it's mesmerising. It's a mood piece. It will spark debate for sure when people do get to see it. And it's a tragedy, devastating, wonderful, and as I said, one of my great film experiences of 2023, that 10am Sunday morning session that I will <laughs> always remember. So thank you for About Dry Grass as my number four film. It's also a film that um, lets you come to your own conclusions. Yeah, indeed. Mm. So that might put some of you off. I don't know. <laughs> uh, number three is um, The Beast, La Bette, uh, by Bertrand Bonello, uh, which is so many things. It's a period costume drama. It's um, a cautionary tale of the future. It is a um, present-day American slasher. Um, it is non-linear and it is a delight. Yeah, it does all of those things <laughs> incredibly. <laughs> And somehow it ties it all together. And I know, I know this film um, hasn't received universal acclaim, um, but it is the sort of feature that I feel a decade from now will be looked at as um, a really interesting insight into uh, where we are today, you know, as a cultural milestone. Excellent. My number three is Past Lives. 
Um, so I'm obviously really crazy about this film. Um, this, the story of Nora and Haesung, these two childhood friends, and the 20 years. Uh, I talked about it earlier in the podcast. I just want to, again, just remind everybody about how incredibly fine the performances are from Greta Lee to you and John Magaro. It's tender, understated, a m- really moving film. I, I so remember seeing it for the first time at the Melbourne Film Festival and remembering people saying how they, they weep watching the film. And I remember getting to the last five minutes of the film thinking, what are they talking about? I mean, this is a magnificent film, but I'm not emotional at all. And bam, I, I felt the tears rolling down my eyes. from down my, my Like cheeks. a sledgehammer. It's like a sledgehammer. And it comes... It, it is, but it's so earned it's so beautiful that that's why it's so incredibly moving it's uh, just uh, for a first film it, it astonishes me which is probably why i've positioned it at number three because I, I i can't remember a debut film being this confident and this impressive in many a year so that's my number three and now we're getting to the serious ones that we are we are we <laughs> okay um my second favorite film of 2023 is la chimera by alicia raw walker um, this film is just beautiful. Um, it took me by surprise. Uh, as I mentioned before, Josh O'Connor uh, gives a remarkable performance in this film. Um, he plays a, a Tomb Raider. And, um, yeah, there was a, a lot of funny discussion when this film premiered at Cannes because, of course, the new Indiana Jones film played out of competition there. <laughs> and people were saying that the Indiana Jones film wasn't even the best film about a Tomb Raider at yep. Cannes that year. Um, yeah, but La Chimera digs into the soul. The deeper he digs into the Italian countryside, he digs into familial relationships, um, past and present uh, the film is very spiritual. It's very steeped in mythology. Um, it uh, is beautiful to look at. It, it has, has another great final scene. It uh, does. It stays with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It lingers. Yeah. I um. Yeah. I think about that a lot actually. Uh, it's shot remarkably well again by Helene Levart, who did Disco Boy, who shot Disco Boy. Um, yeah. Everything about this film just immerses you in in a world who thought that I would be so interested in uh, Italian archaeology. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw this film. And there's a lot of joy in the film too. It's, it it's, it's very infectious, yeah. And I will say as well that, um, yeah, I, I gave this yeah, a 10 out of 10. That, that's how good this year has been. I'm not going to talk too much more about my number two, Anatomy of a Fall, Um which now makes me feel like Sean and I may have the same number one film of the year. We'll see in a minute. But anyway, number two, uh, Sandra Hula. Oh, my gosh, let's just let's praise this woman to the, to the highest. She's incredible. And the way the film takes a scalpel to truth, the justice system, strained marriage, it's just so intelligent. It's just so smart and riveting. And, again, two and a half hours fly by. Um, yeah. It's uh, in cinemas at the in January. Please don't miss Anatomy of a Fall. It's a ten out of ten movie for me. Yeah. So, Sean, your number one, which I think might I think be it's my your number, number one. one. Yeah. Uh, the new film um, by Jonathan Glazer, yes. The Zone of Interest. Oh my gosh. Um, and am I right in saying this is your number one as well? It is my number one film. <laughs> so we can probably have a conversation about it. Yeah. 
So, yeah, this film, um, I expected I'd like it, but I was kind of scared of watching it, um, given the subject matter. It's a, a Holocaust film, and uh, it's a film that uses sound design to convey that, because I imagine if you were someone who somehow had never heard of the Holocaust and you watched this film, you wouldn't necessarily know what is happening but you would definitely feel it mm -hmm. you would mm -hmm. feel the horror and the term banality of evil gets used a lot but it is actually a really good explanation for what happens in this film it's like this is a family that could be living next door to you right now they've got kids they've got a dog they've they've got all the same issues with work but they just happen to be evil people yeah yeah, yeah it's a really chilling film it's a really hard film to shake it's 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 adventurous. It, it is, and I, I talked I talked earlier about about dry grasses doing a narrative twist that kind oh, of yes. takes your breath away. Yeah. The zone of interest also does in its closing minutes a, a, a rather bold and adventurous leap, and uh, which I think is extraordinary. Puts, can, can puts the film into context. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There, there's almost a few minutes in the film where it feels like the film itself begins to. Uh, decay that is how evil this is you know yes and one of the characters actually you give a sense that he's rotting from the inside yeah. as well well there you have it we've agreed on our number one films of the year the zone of interest directed by jonathan glazer in cinemas in australia in february yes so um, if you feel you're up to the challenge um, highly highly recommended as the best film of 2023 and i can second that so um, that's, that's our first podcast. Um, I, I, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I hope you found our, our, our views enlightening and interesting and hopefully you now have a list of films that you really want to go and see or catch up with that you may have missed. Um, I'd like to thank uh, the wonderful staff at Brisbane Square Library for all their assistance in getting this first podcast out um, and I'd like to thank Sean for all his assistance in, in us getting this together. Uh, thank you, Jim. It's, it's been a pleasure. It has been absolutely joyful. And um, our next episode will probably focus on the Berlin lineup, which will be released mm -hmm. in the coming weeks. And also, we'll have to talk about the Oscar nominations. And we may even do something like a who should win, who yeah. will win, and who should have been nominated. That's, That's definitely it. And <laughs> I have a feeling, looking at my top ten and looking at yours, that we won't be too happy. But um, that's the nature of the game. Well, one of the joys of being a cinephile is just complaining about how much we hate the Academy Awards, but we watch them. Yeah. <laughs> Religiously. <laughs> Religiously. <laughs> yeah, and I can imagine the Sundance lineup will be out, and so we'll see if there's anything interesting there. At so all. we'll have plenty to talk about next time we all get together. So thanks, and um, keep an eye on your feed. Uh, please like and subscribe to the In Competition Film Podcast, and um, we look forward to sharing some more film news with you very soon. Thank you.